0: January 17, 2016, and thank you for joining us again tonight and for your ongoing support of this show. In April, it will be two years that I have been hosting the show since I inherited it from our beloved friend and founder, Mike Rupert. When I think back on the amazing guests we've had on the show since April 2014, I'm humbled and deeply honored. And one of the realities of the name of this show is that it has the word life in it. We talk a lot on this show about near-term human extinction and the collapse of industrial civilization, but we also talk about how to live with passion and purpose in the face of these dark and dire realities. And for that reason, I endeavor each week to have guests who will offer something that will enhance the quality of our living, not just offer the horrible reality of our predicament, as important as it is that we know how to look into the face of the abyss. But looking into the face of the abyss is not useful if that's all you have to look into. Now, last month we had on this show an amazing young man named Tyler Hess, who had been on the show in 2014 as well. Tyler is about 25 years old, and he came on the show to talk to us about our planetary predicament from the point of view of a millennial. Those of you who've heard Tyler one or both of the times that he was on the show know what an incredible wisdom he carries and articulates. I've often told him that I consider him an elder because my definition of an elder has little to do with age. It has much more to do with wisdom and resilience and the ability to respond skillfully to the many layers of the global crisis. Now tonight we have with us someone at the opposite end of the age spectrum who's an elder in the chronological age sense of the word, but also in terms of being a carrier of remarkable wisdom. And he's actually written a book called Elder's Rock, Don't Just Get Older, Become an Elder. I'm talking about Harvey Austin, M.D., who says that elderhood is a stage of life, not an age of life. Dr. Austin is a board-certified plastic surgeon. He founded the Austin-Weston Center for Cosmetic Surgery in Washington, D.C., perhaps the largest non-university practice in the country. His cosmetic surgical practice was different from most, working with courageous human beings, mostly women, who suffered from our culture's addiction to youth and beauty. He's internationally known and has lectured to plastic surgeons in Sweden, Brazil, Mexico, and across the United States. He's been on the Oprah Winfrey Show and Phil Donahue shows. He retired from surgical practice, and he now lives in Pompano Beach, Florida. Dr. Austin has been a student of transformation for 40 years and has taken or led over 50 courses in both personal and worldwide transformation has a powerful commitment to a world that works for everyone with no one left out he's an elder by initiation i met harvey a couple of years ago online and he's continued to follow my work and he's also called into the lifeboat hour when we were a live show and took callers he's placed my book collapsing consciously among books recommended in his reading list in his book Elder's Rock speaks to the disaster of what, is be, what has happened to our wisest and best uh, in the stage of life uh, that is known as the elder. It is also, his book, Elder's Rock, is also a training manual to become a wise elder instead of just an older person. Dr. Harvey Austin, welcome to the Lifeboat Hour.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Carolyn. It's absolutely a delight to be here.
0: Well, I love having you on the show. This is the first time you've been on the show, and I've been looking forward to it, um, because I love your book, Elders Rock. And in Elders Rock, you talk about how we've lost our third stage of life, elderhood, and I'd like you to talk to us about the other stages and why the third stage is natural and critical.
1: Good, I'd absolutely love to do that. Let me talk about about the three stages of life that we have always had for, oh, 99.9% of the time that human beings have lived on Earth, maybe 200,000 years. During that period of time, it was simply automatic from childhood to adulthood to elderhood with its wisdom and its ability to see the long view. But for about uh... the last two hundred years that's changed completely we've really lost the stage of elder and really that's unfortunate uh... we know that childhood well actually let's actually talk about youth adult and elder that makes uh, better sense uh... but youth is really divided into two parts childhood where one uh... simply uh, lives in the joy of expressing oneself and discovering everything there is to discover And then the pre-adult, which is what we call adolescent, and it's the time of learning all the ways of the culture, it's a time of sexual exploration, it's a time of looking for what it is that you really want to do in life. It's a time of finding that which you love and get yourself taught. Adult is the full-blown adulthood in the world, making a living, raising a family, citizenry, and all that. But a, but a, excuse me, but a delta I can't even say it right now, I'm sorry. (laughs) Elder is the best time of life. It's the time for which the first two were made. It's a time of joy and compassion and wisdom.
0: Well, you know, there are themes uh, in the book. There are actually ten themes in the book, and we just talked about the first one. The second theme asserts that elderhood, elderhood is life in full bloom, and I'd like you to give us a detailed explanation of what you mean by that statement. It's
1: the time where, you, where people really, really come into our own. Mostly in our culture, we don't think of a stage beyond adulthood. But it was true for every other culture for 99% of the time. And elders have really gained a profound understanding of the world as it is. Uh, They're the reservoir of both the secular and the spiritual history of our, our species. And that longer view allows elders to see the patterns of life much more clearly. And they're attuned with the earth and they're attuned with spirit they, they tend to live in the now uh, with an open heart, and they have the ability to laugh at themselves, you know, smile at the follies of the past, and to create new possibilities for the future. It's, it's kind of in that poem, Come grow old along with me, the best is yet to be. But the old that that was referring to is the elder. Come grow and become an elder along with me, the best is yet to be.
0: Yeah, and you know, um, I I don't know, uh, this just occurred to me as you were speaking. I'm I'm not sure if you're familiar with Richard Rohr, who is a he's actually a Franciscan Catholic priest and uh, a very radical one. I'm not sure why he's still in the church, Uh, hasn't been kicked out yet. But he wrote a wonderful book called Falling Upward, and he talks about, and that's a paradoxical name for elderhood. That it's a time when we sort of, you know, uh, lose some of our capacities, but we also gain this enormous wisdom that you're talking about, or or that we can gain it. You know, there's no guarantee that we will, but, but this is a time in which we are ripe to do that deeper work. Do you agree?
1: Yes, I do. Very, very much so. Yes, I am familiar with it, and I have read parts of that book. Um, th- yes, It's almost a paradox that as one gradually loses certain physical capacity, something comes in to take its place. It's not automatic, however, because our culture has so inculcated, oh, what a big word, so indoctrinated us into the Doing this and the having this of mere elderhood, that it somehow seems wrong to us that we should lose these capacities. And yet, elderhood is not a game of soccer anymore. It's something way more profound than that. It's, it's the time where one dives in deeply, when spirit uh, makes a resurgence, most of which was lost in rather early childhood as we become acculturated. Um, It's a great time. Listen, I'm 80 years old, and I'm the youngest 80-year-old perhaps you've ever met. Uh, (laughs) I don't doubt that, Harvey. (laughs) uh, I'm sorry?
0: I don't doubt that, Harvey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: But here's the good news. My 70s have literally been the best decade of my life. I am more centered. I don't get upset. I'm not lost in the standards that I think everybody else has to meet or that I have to meet. It's like I've become my own person, and at the same time, I've become more like everybody else than I ever was. But I don't mean on the outside. I mean deeply on the inside. Oh, I I just think that elderhood is by far the best time of life, and it's just gotten such a bad rap.
0: Yeah, it really has, and uh, while we're on this topic, I just want to say that for me, uh, elderhood is so much more about finding meaning and purpose. There, there were ways that I was able to do that in earlier years, but that whole capacity to find meaning and purpose and just find life meaningful um, has, has deepened in me. Is that your experience? Oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely. Uh, it, I find myself driving down the street and and looking at the trees in a different way and admiring the traffic the way people uh, weave in and out, and looking at the different clothes that people wear almost with a sense of awe, like, "Wow, how about that?" And then I sort of real, I realize it 's almost a prayer it 's almost a background prayer, like I so love life. (laughs) I'm practically in tears just saying that. I am in awe of the magnificence of life. I couldn't do that when I was merely an adult. I was too damn busy.
0: Yeah, and I think we hadn't lived enough, uh, perhaps, to to have that capacity. Yeah. You know, I think it it, takes a certain amount of living to get to that place. Yeah, and living seems
1: to fall into two categories for adults bad stuff and good stuff <laughs> and we really put, put it either way and and i think the elder knows that that's nonsense mm-hmm. that those are just categories where we say well this one feels good and that one doesn't feel good yet the stuff that we've had to go through whether it's the divorce or the death of a child or a terrible automobile accident or an illness there's something about that that up, readies us or elderhood that we didn't realize at the time.
0: Yeah, so I want to go back to the stages. Um, you talked about the three stages, youth, adult, yes. elder, and um, tell us why it's so important to understand them. Well, it's all, we happen
1: to live in a culture that says certain things are good and certain things are bad, and what our juvenile culture says, it, very simply, youth is good, old is bad. Simple as that, and everybody and we get relegated into that. But this is a new phenomenon in the world. A phenomenon in the world. Uh, it wasn't always that way. There was a reverence for elder. There was a reverence for the term crone. Now, if we call an aging woman a crone, she's insulted, but yet used to be such a term of reverence for the wiser, older woman, the one who knew all the herbs, the one who acted as a doctor, the one that was a confidant. And I rather think that we, as a culture, have made a terrible, terrible mistake in not legitimizing elder any longer i mean elder with a capital e i don't mean the elderly i don't mean the aged and i don't mean just the older growing but elder with a capital e
0: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And uh, you say that we began to lose our elder stage about 5,000 years ago with the formation of towns and cities. And you say that this loss intensified 200 years ago with the discovery of the colossal energy from fossil fuels. That's a really powerful statement, and I'd like you to say more.
1: I I would love to say more. about. First of all, let's talk about the colossal energy of fossil fuels. Exactly 200 years ago, Let's just take that figure, 1815. For all practical purposes, that was the earliest discovery of the energy of oil. Now, a barrel of oil, which right at the moment sells for about $20, but let's talk about it as though it sold for $50. There's so much energy in that, that a person weighing as much as a barrel of oil, which is about 320 pounds, that's a pretty big worker, in order to have his muscles be the equivalent of the energy in that barrel of oil, he would have to work 40 hours a week, 8 hours a day for 11 years for a barrel of oil that costs less than $100. Now, if you gave him a wage of $22 an hour, over that period of time he would have earned $500,000 which is not a bad return on a $50 barrel of oil. It's 10,000 to 1. Well, when all of a sudden civilization, or what we call culture or society, had access to that kind of energy, the population of the world, which for hundreds of thousands of years was less than 1 billion, all of a sudden, in just the past two hundred years, you know, like one tenth of one percent has leaped up seven times. We have a population of seven and a half billion, and we are totally dependent upon that energy source and that 's the time. When we really had the breakdown of family, which is the real training ground of elder, you know, grandfather and grandmother now live in Florida and daughter lives out in Utah and somebody else lives in Beirut. And it's the family has grown apart. And it's pretty obvious as we look around because children nowadays don't live with their parents and their grandparents as they did for 99.9% of the time humans have been on the planet.
0: Well, that's an amazing connection. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And, you know, fossil fuels has also made us much more mobile so that we don't have to stay together. I mean, you know, um before the financial crash of 2007 and 8 and 9, when, you know, millions of kids started moving back home and living in their parents' basements, it just was not cool to do that sort of thing. I mean, the sooner you could get out of the house and be on your own, the better. And, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that's a huge cultural shift uh, that, that we've seen just in the last uh, 20 years.
1: Yeah. Oddly enough, and from the child's point of view, they don't think it's a particularly good cultural shift. But uh, you could hold it that with that living in the parents' basement comes an enhancement of family. Right. See, so here's the interesting thing: that how, the question is, how do you train an elder? Well, years ago, you didn't have to train an elder. It was natural. Uh, you were born. You lived with your parents. You lived with your grandparents. The, the, the neighborhoods were small, you know, a tribe or a village where, you know, 90% of people lived. And so they were trained by their five generations. Uh, so by the time you'd become an elder, you'd been, been trained by your grandparents, your parents, your cohorts your children, and your grandchildren. That's five generations of training. Nowadays, when it's, you become a boomer who's, uh, you know, time to be an elder, you've been trained by your parents, and that's about it. And they weren't particularly well trained either. So we've lost the entire training ground because with that training ground comes wisdom. And how can you possibly become wise without an enormous amount of personal effort when the whole cultural schooling for elder has virtually disappeared.
0: Well, we're going to take a little music break, Harvey, and then come back, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about wisdom when we return. So uh, I just want to remind folks, I'm talking today with Harvey Austin, MD, whose amazing book, Elders Rock, Don't Just Get Older, Become an Elder, is a beautiful map for cultivating the wisdom we need to earn the title of elder instead of older, and as you know, we're all aware of the millions of people who are not elders but simply olders who don't really have much to live for. They may be ill or infirm or just simply bored. Their situation is depicted in a song from the 1950s by the late Peggy Lee, and some younger listeners may be familiar with this song, but those of us of a certain age remember it well. Here's Peggy Lee singing, Is That All There Is.
2: I remember when I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced to the burning building out of the pavement. And I stood there, shivering in my pajamas, and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, Is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? is that all there is if that's all there is my friends then let's keep dancing let's break up the booze and have a ball When I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus, the greatest show on earth. There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears, and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was all over, I said to myself... And then I fell in love with the most wonderful boy in the world. We'd take long walks down by the river or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes. We were so very much in love. And then one day he went away and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, Is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep... I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath I'll be saying to myself Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is I got the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is,
0: that was Peggy Lee singing Is That All There Is? And I'm your host, Carolyn Baker. I'm talking today with the wonderful Harvey Austin, M.D., author of Elder's Rock, Don't Get Older, Become an Elder. I'd like to mention that Harvey has a wonderful blog at harveywaustin.wordpress.com, and you can contact him at harveywaustin at yahoo.com. Again, his book is Elder's Rock, Don't Just Get Older, Become an Elder. And Harvey, um, I just want to ask you, as I was listening to the song, I I was wondering why you chose that song, because I asked you to choose a song for the show, and that's the one you picked. Uh, How come?
1: Because when that song came out in uh, 1969, 1970, or at least when I first heard it, I was 35 years old, and I was going through a really massive crisis in my life, even though I was totally successful in the outside, I was a surgeon, I was active in medical politics, I was, I was just doing a hell of a job. There was something terribly, terribly wrong, and I had this big lump in my chest. And then when I heard that song, it just threw me into a tizzy. In fact, even right now, I'm almost in tears listening to yeah. it, yeah. because that song is just the worst big, fat lie And later on, she wrote another one called There Is More. But that song was so pervasive, I could hardly listen to it because I was so afraid that this was all there is. And it's not so. And yet, our generation or my generation has been raised on that. That's it. That's it. You know, this is it. One life. Adulthood is all there is. But the trouble is we don't ask that question, but it just nags at us unconsciously. So I'm really here and written this book to say, hell no, the best is yet to come. Yeah, it's like you have no idea. That is not all there is, the circus or the fire or that boy who left. No, there's way more than that. That's just the outside journey. The inside journey is far more, far more powerful and satisfying than
0: that. Well, let's talk about the inside journey because you know the yeah. in, the inside journey is all about um, really accumulating wisdom. It's a time of unique potential for cultivating wisdom. So, how do you define wisdom? Wow. <sighs>
1: <laughs> Not an easy question, I well, know. all right. right let, let me try it with a metaphor, okay? Sure. Take a ladder, and we'll call that ladder human knowledge. If you start at the bottom, there's data, and above that there's facts, and above that there's information, and above that there's knowledge, and above that there's bodies of knowledge. And we're talking about, you know, psychology and sociology and mathematics. Those are the bodies of knowledge. And above that, in our system, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing because all there is, they they answer the, the what and how, but they never look at the question why. And so I would say that in the largest sense, wisdom or a wisdom education would be learning about the appropriate application of bodies of knowledge that benefit all sentient beings. You know, that's kind of far high flown, but wisdom is like looking out at the world and saying, oh, it is the way it is. And I don't have to change stuff. I don't have to fix stuff. Everything is all right the way it is. People are all right the way they are. And it doesn't mean I don't have discernment, but it means I'm not wed to all my standards. I kind of like that. Like I've got a lot more compassion, a lot more openness, a lot more willingness to listen. And I think that's all wisdom. There's probably a lot of things we could add to that, but that's (laughs) sort of a long form. How's
0: that? Well, that's good. I I like that. And, uh, you know, I I like to think of wisdom as kind of a a mix, a blend, a a marriage of love and knowledge, you know, because the love and compassion have to be there. Uh, Otherwise, it's really not wisdom. And also for me, part of wisdom is really working with and trying to cultivate meaning, making meaning from life and from all of our experiences.
1: Yeah, and and, and making meaning, not just little small meanings, but really seeing the bigger meanings. Um, Can I talk a little bit uh, uh, about a woman and growing older, sure,
0: Carolyn, would absolutely. that be okay? Yeah.
1: Okay. I, I, I want to sort of throw out a very weird question to the audience, and the question goes like this. If you take all of the species on Earth, you know, it's about five million species, with one exception, There's this very weird and strange thing that the female of the species does. And we're talking about, you know, bacteria up to amoebas all the way up to orangutans or or chimpanzees, our closest species. There's a weird thing that the female does when she can no longer produce young. What is that weird thing? And so I'm going to answer the question uh, just because we don't have any folks who can call back and play with that. But the answer is she dies. She dies. It's almost instantly. When you can't produce young, the female dies in all species except one. And that's the human species. So for some reason, we are the only species that has another 30 to 40 years of life after the female can no longer produce young and that makes us so incredibly unique i think that makes the human species more unique than our famous opposable thumb or a brilliant neocortex and you know part of that 30 or 40 years is to be something beca- uh, called a grandmother now where humans are also the only species where we have two generations to actually nurture the young. And, of course, our young need nurturing a whole lot more than a giraffe, for instance, you know, who stands up the minute uh, she or he comes out to the shoot. They get up and they wobble away. Ours don't do that at all. But I think it's for something far, far more than that. And I think the patriarchy actually arose out of the fear of the incredible power of the older woman. And I think that's a resource that our society, our our immature you-or-me kind of thinking has ignored completely. We have blown it in terms of the wisdom of the older female. And that's what I want to say about that right now.
0: Well, thank you so much for that because um, you know I, I'm I, I'm proud to call myself a crone, and yes. uh, I love to hang out with crones and um you know i i think the crone wisdom has totally as you say it's really been eclipsed in this culture uh but in some ways it's coming back and we need these voices of older women and older men uh you know to lead the way and i'm i'm just so pleased with folks like yourself who are are writing books about elderhood you know elderhood in in indigenous cultures uh it's it's a it, it comes about as a result of an initiatory rite of passage process. You know, it, it, and it starts really almost from birth when in many cultures the elders of the tribe listen to the belly of the woman who's pregnant because they know that the child is coming in with gifts. Gifts for the community and so they want to know what those gifts are and so they listen and they tend to the well-being of this mother and then when the child is born it's all about bringing out those gifts and then the child at puberty has this initiation ceremony in which all of the elders participate the older women with the girls the older men with the boys the kid is taken out into the wilderness and has to endure some sort of ordeal sometimes it's life-threatening sometimes the young person does doesn't survive, But if they do survive, then they come back to the community. There's a celebration. And then the young person realizes that he or she is heading to one place, and that is to become an elder. And so he or she is an elder in training throughout midlife, and then they take that place of reverence, as you said. I just love that word, reverence for the older person who's been trained to be an elder almost from birth.
1: Oh, I'm in ab- absolute agreement with you. And there is still, uh, this still happens in the indigenous people uh, who have managed to stay wisely, hidden from civilization. Right. You know, there's like 267 indigenous tribes in Brazil alone. But the, 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 the oh God the initiation that I'm particularly interested in is the one at the end of that adult phase in which one can be initiated into becoming an elder, and there are still some female elder ceremonies, but they're fairly rare. Um, the I think primarily that in order to transform and I mean the word transform literally from an adult to an elder, one has to take a stand. And the best way to do that is to stand in front of a mirror and say, I am an elder. And then watch the one in the mirror say, yeah, give me a break. And you keep on saying it until the one in the mirror says, yes, I am an elder. And at that point, you're open, you're open enough to ask the question, what does it mean for me to be an elder? What kind of training? Where can I go to elder school? Well, there aren't many elder schools, but the second half of, of my book is, in a certain sense, a kind of Bible on how to become an elder. Today I Googled Bibles, and there are at least thirty-eight different kinds of Bibles about everything from uh, automo- the Bibles of automobiles to the Bibles of skiing and, and sort of thing. Well, this, this book is sort of i uh, I've written "Elders Rock" is uh, uh, literally a Bible on how to train yourself for an, to become an elder in the face of the total loss of the training school of elder that used to be called family.
0: And what an incredible contribution that is to us, Harvey. I'm so grateful to you for writing this book. And I want to throw something in here while we're on the topic. Um, As a Jungian-oriented writer and former psychotherapist, um, I'm a student of mythology and metaphor. One of my mentors over the years has been Michael Mead, who's a mythologist and storyteller living in the Seattle area. I highly recommend his website, mosaicvoices.org. Michael looks at the world from a mythological perspective, and he has a very poetic perspective on elderhood and youth in this culture, which makes total sense to me. He says, and I want to remind people that this is a metaphoric perspective, not literal, Michael states that in a culture where people do not pay attention to the youth in the ways they need, the youth become unable to pay attention. Has anyone ever heard of attention deficit disorder? He also says that in a culture where people forget about the older population, the older population begins to forget who they are. Has anyone ever heard of dementia or Alzheimer's? And for me, this is a very poetic, but also a a really astute, metaphorical, symbolic assessment of how our culture views olders and youngers, and certainly pertains to the swollen adulthood that we see around us. Harvey, do you have any comments on that that you'd like to make?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I certainly do. I, I would say that he's absolutely right on that. But I would even call it something more than a metaphor. I would call it an accurate assessment of the reality of the situation. Um, Just as we're seeing... um, you know, what is true for an individual is also true for a culture because the individual is the microcosm of the culture. And when you start to see the kind of illnesses that we're seeing, uh, the, the, the the despair, uh, the Alzheimer's that you spoke about, the early dementia, the deep resignation, uh, it's true of the culture as well. You know, Sam Harris, who founded the largest uh, grassroots lobbying organization uh, in the country called Results. And he's also head of the uh, global uh, summit for, oh, doggone, um, organizations of women who, who get small loans and produce great results. Sam says this, that we, at least in the United States, are suffering from clinical depression. Now, that's ordinarily Uh, A diagnosis is just applied to an individual, but it may well be appropriate to apply to a culture that's lost its way and doesn't know who it is anymore. A culture that is so far down the road of you or me where I win and you have to lose that we may not be able to get back to a culture of you and me, which is the normal state of the world, both with people and in nature
0: yeah and as you were talking um I was thinking about grief because um I do a lot of grief work and grief workshops, and uh,
2: yeah.
0: there's so much grief in the older years of so many people who are kind of living from that is that all there is perspective um, what do what do you what do you say or what do you feel what do you know about grief in the older years what what's been your experience with that?
1: Well, I'm going to quote uh, Dr. William H. Thomas, who's a, a geriatrician in his 50s, who's actually out to revolutionize uh, nursing homes, in which he said, uh, there are three scourges of the aged. And by the aged, I mean those who can't take care of themselves, either physically or emotionally. He says there are boredom, uselessness, and despair. And I think we're seeing that in in so many older adults, whether or not they make it all the way. You know, um, uh, well, what's his name? Uh, Walden Pond, a uh, throw, said most people, well, actually he said most men, but he meant most people, live lives of quiet desperation and die with their song still in them. You know, and if I was writing a song of the times just like, Peggy Lee wrote that song for her times. I would write one that had those words in it. And, of course, the question is, what do you do about that, and can we do anything about that in time?
0: Right. Well, you've alluded a couple of times to the expression you and me or you or me, so I'd I'd like you to talk about that some more. Um, During this time, you say in the book, during this time of our global crisis – our global worldview shifted from the eons-long you-and-me worldview of inclusion and cooperation to our present adversarial world of you or me. This global shift of worldview is both an evolutionary backstep and a threat to the existence of mankind or humankind. Yeah. Would you talk about that, yeah.
1: please? Oh, boy, that's a, pre- that's a pretty bold statement. And, yes, I made it because that's part of my analysis of the whole thing. Even Darwin said the same thing uh he you know we think of Darwin as uh survival of the fittest well that 's what he said when he was a young man, when he wasn 't really astute, but when he got to be an older man and really looked at the facts differently about nature, all he saw was cooperation and alignment and and it and it looks to me it looks to me like we have truly an adolescent culture that we live in the world of you or me because that's what adolescents do. They test the boundaries. Am I better than you or are you better than me? And it's a pro and there's a it's competition and adversarial. But as a culture becomes more mature and has more ability to include others and has an appreciation for diversity, we're now talking about a culture of you and me where I don't win if you don't win, that we are brother and sister that we are the one. We are the same. We're all an aspect of nature differing a little bit, but not really. Down inside, we're all the same. We all want the same thing, you know, love and compassion, and uh, we want all of our children to be raised in a world where no one and nothing is left out, and that's the hallmark, in my mind, of the culture that we all want, That's a world that will be like that someday, but that Big question is, how can we get from a world of you or me with its competition and its assumption of separation and its assumption of shortages without getting a big whack upside the head?
0: Well, I think we are getting a big whack upside the head even as we speak with what, you know, the many, many things that are happening in the world and in our culture that are taking us toward the edge of the abyss. Yeah. Um, now you you've just described something that uh, raises the next question that I have for you. Uh, in Elders Rock, you say the attributes of elder live in the realm of beingness. They are distinct yes. from from and transcend the doingness traits of the adult. What do you mean by beingness?
1: Oh, it's that stuff that really makes life truly worthwhile. It's. Uh, well first of all the beingness there's a core attribute to be wise compassionate listens carefully and let me just throw out a whole bunch of other words that would characterize elder and characterize beingness joyous open kind generous playful forgiving living in the now vulnerable total integrity fully self-expressed in other words being able to be fully open and out there and able to share who you are, what you're up to, and what you truly, deeply believe about goodness and spirit without being thought a damn fool. And the willingness to, to just keep putting it, putting it on out there. And finding yourself just in love with yourself, in love with others, in love with life. Those are what I mean, the, the characteristics of, of beingness.
0: Well, thank you for that answer, and, um, you know, I'm noticing we're getting down toward the end of the the program, but, um, you know, in the last half of Elder's Rock, that last half is about the training we need to become wise elders and you say elder training best occurs in groups and consists of powerful conversations and exercises to emphasize elder attributes creativity vulnerability integrity responsibility and communication tell us more about elder training and what that might look like
1: yeah well let me first of all start by saying there isn't any <laughs> okay. Our education our educational system is all about learning stuff about what you don't know bringing it to that little slice of life called what you do know. We right. don't have a significant elder training in the world. But I've taken enough courses now that I I I found one. Um, and it's called uh, landmark education. It is the best uh, Training, they don't call it an elder training, they call it uh, a leadership training, a fully self, it's about full self-expression, it's about making an impact in the world. But down underneath that, it's like, oh, they train you to become wise and become an elder. So, there are a lot of groups out there. Uh, in fact, uh, at the back of the book, I, I make a list of all the trainings uh, that I've taken and all the courses that I've taken. And you can start virtually anywhere, but I think it has to be in group because training, trying to train yourself by yourself, your mind just gets in the way. You, you, you pretty much just can't do it. It takes it tri- uh, takes being in a group with multiple viewpoints to actually become an elder nowadays. The village used to serve as that, and it's got to be a new village in these of the groups I'm talking about.
0: So do you so do elder sense? training workshops with folks?
1: Yes, there are some. There are a few. Ions of Northern California has an elder training workshop. There's another one, uh, by, uh, the, uh, by uh, to um, Shalomi, uh, Shalomi called From Aging to Saging. They do workshops. Uh, I'm looking at the possibility of doing that. uh, uh my partner and myself, uh, Dr. Arlene Bump, uh, may well be putting these workshops together. There is nothing on paper at the present, although in our particular Center for Spiritual Living, we do have an elders group of about, oh, a dozen to a dozen and a half that meets every month. But you have to look around and find them.
0: Well, I certainly applaud you uh, in doing this, and I really hope you do, because I think we need workshops all over the country for elders and situations where elders and younger people can come together. You know, there are a lot of projects now going on in different parts of the world where, you know, there's daycare right, right in the same building as the nursing home. You know, yes, and where the young people get to interact with the elders and vice versa, and I think this is the best thing since sliced bread. I am just wildly enthusiastic about it.
1: I remember uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross saying, "There's nobody better for for children than elders. They have a common enemy." Namely the parents. (laughs) Right, right. And she said, it's so wonderful because the kids crawl all over me, she said, and they put their fingers in the wrinkles of my face and they just love it. It's like when we talk about uh, a second childhood, it really is a second childhood, but I don't mean childness. I mean childlike, and that's also an attribute of elders. So. What you're speaking about is also something that Dr. William H. Thomas in his books uh, uh, endorses.
0: Well, okay, we're, we're coming down to the end of the show. Um, it's just about that time, and I want folks to remember to check out Dr. Austin's blog at harveywaustin.wordpress.com. You can contact him at harveywaustin at yahoo.com. And by all means, read his book, Elders Rock, Don't Just Get Older, Become an Elder. Do you have any uh, uh, other projects uh, coming down the road here in, in the near future, Harvey?
1: No, the re- the way I am actually um, plan- marketing the book now, I am sending this book out to everybody who has ever even used the word elder as a mm. gift copy, particularly to people who influences that. But the last word that I want really want to leave with people is elder is not an age of life. It's a stage of life, and it deserves its capitalization of the beginning letter E.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Harvey, so much for being with us, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Uh, people of all ages need this work.
1: Yes. Yes, it would be wonderful if it started in pre-kindergarten.
0: Absolutely, I agree. A world that
1: works for everyone with no one left out. Carolyn, thank you for the work that you're, you're doing in the world. You are an inspiration to me and my favorite writer.
0: Well, thank you so much. And folks listening, we're going to be back again with you next week with Paul Levy, author of Dispelling Wetiko. And Paul is going to talk about his new book, Awakened by Darkness. I'm very sure you're not going to want to miss the show, so we look forward to having you with us again next week. Take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
3: Everybody knows that the days are loaded bye